This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation, like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. We get a chance to talk to a man who is a college football analyst, and he is all up and through ESPN as an analyst, former Georgia Tech quarterback, and we hope to call a friend of the show. We'd like to have him on more. He's Tommy Luganbill, who joins us via the Hobson and Hobson Newsmaker line. Tom, good morning. Thank you for joining us here. Do you go by Tom or Tommy? I, we always know you have Tommy Luganbill here in Atlanta. Yeah. A lot of it just depends on if a coach or a parent is talking to me. So I, I, I go by I go by both, I guess, if you will. And so call me what you want. I've been called worse than both. Well, I, I've known you as Tommy coming into Atlanta. Um, speaking of that, uh, your thoughts, you've called and I've uh, seen Georgia Tech a couple of times this year. Where, based on what you are seeing, where do you think Georgia Tech is headed? Right now, they're not heading in a good direction. Um, you know, I think the one thing, and I'd be curious to hear Joe's thoughts on this, is as you watch them and, and, you, and you see them, there is – everything is so hard, right? They're not a team that makes their own breaks. And then when they do get one, they struggle to capitalize on it. And the kicking game woes have, have continued to materialize. Uh, the self-inflicted wounds. I mean, you go back to the Clemson game that I have. For three and a half quarters, or three quarters, really, they played their tail off. It completely stymied Clemson's run. But guess what happens? You have false start penalties. You have two blocked punts. Everything is self-inflicted. Now, I'm not saying that they're talented enough to just go out there and, and, and beat people, even if they make a mistake or two. But if they clean things up, they could at least be in the football game and get into the fourth quarter. And if you make a play here, you avoid a mistake there. You know, maybe you win the game. Uh, my, my biggest concern about them is that they don't have a lot of team speed on either side of the ball. And the quarterback is so physically gifted, but his production and his performance nowhere near matches what his physical attributes are. And that's very, very frustrating to watch. Tommy, speaking of uh, Jeff Sims, um, I, he looks mechanical. He looks like he's into his own head. He looks like he's trying to think through every single play and trying to be perfect. And I thought Chris Winkie uh, would have a big impact on the way he's able to develop him, but it seems as though he's regre- regressed a little bit. What are you seeing? Well, I was seeing a little bit of that, and I think the other thing, and this was, this was really evident um, in the Western Carolina game and then this past weekend versus Old Miss. He looks like he's running on his tippy toes. There's no sense of urgency when it comes to taking the ball, tucking it, and run. There's no physicality. There was a play early on in the first quarter last week where if he just lowers his shoulders and rams rams through the defender, he gets the first down. And instead, it's just it's a it's a very soft um, type of approach. And he's a big physical kid. And I don't know if it's that they're asking him to, to see this, that, and another, or if, if they're not cutting the field in half and maybe asking him to go through full progression reads. But he shows flashes, but he can't consistently put series together. He'll put a play together. He'll put two plays together. 
but can't put a series of plays together. Um, and, and, and that, to me, it, you're only going to go so far when your quarterback is streaky. And I think that's one of the best adjectives to use to describe him. He's very, very streaky. ESPN's Tom Luganbill, our guest right now on the Hobson and Hobson Newsmaker line. Tom, when you look around the rest of the ACC, what have you learned through three weeks that we might be able to extract moving forward? Is this a conference of mediocrity, or are there some teams potentially that can make some noise down the road? Well, I, I think the quarterback play is so strong top to bottom that even if a team isn't a great team, the quarterback play can elevate the team a little bit. So you look at Wake Forest, I think they're – a prime example of that. Um, obviously, you hope you get uh, Jordan Travis back at FSU because they look like they were starting to roll and they come in and they're able to win with the backup on the road versus Louisville. Um, I mean, you look at what Garrett Schrader is doing at, at Syracuse. Or is Syracuse for real? They look like they potentially might be. Um, Clemson still is the class of the league, um, in my opinion, from an overall talent perspective. But I think they've got quarterback issues. I, I think you're only going to go so far with D.J. Uyunglele. Um, he's, he's just – he's inconsistent. He's not overly accurate. The offensive line for Clemson is not, not where they need it to be. Defensively, they might be the best team uh, in college football, and I would include that in a conversation with where Georgia is. That's how good Clemson is on defense. But I don't think there's an elite team. You know, I don't, I don't see an Ohio State. I don't see a Georgia. I don't see an Alabama. Um, but I do see several good teams top to bottom because the quarterback play is strong. Tom, when you look back on where it turned for Jeff Collins, there was so much positivity and there was so much momentum, even despite, you know, there not being a lot of wins the first couple of years, he was making strides in recruiting and there mm -hmm. was a lot of energy and a lot of positivity. But for me, I, I felt like things really changed and he lost a lot of momentum last year when they lost to Northern Illinois where do you kind of point back to where's the turning point for you when this thing from an energy, a vibe, a positivity standpoint around the program, where it turned? Well, I think that's a great point to look at. I would also go to the latter part of the season where they lost their last two games, 100 to nothing. And then when you go into an off season with, with that as essentially your last memory as a football team, um, that's a bitter taste in your mouth. Now, I would actually probably say this thing goes further back than that because I think we would all agree um, that what he was taking on, what their staff was taking on in terms of a roster overhaul is something that in recent memory none of us have ever seen in college football before. You're taking a, a, a triple option offense with a very specific type player for 11 years now all of a sudden you've got to flip that roster of 85 to 105 kids into an entirely different philosophy, approach, body type, athlete, quarterback. I mean, you can just go down the list. And then the pandemic hit. And I think that crushed them. Because the issue with the pandemic is it did not allow for coaches to go off the road and recruit, and it didn't allow for kids to come on campus to be recruited. And they needed that time. So I think early on in recruiting, I think that impeded their ability to truly upgrade the talent maybe to the level that they would have liked to, which then forced them to go down the transfer portal path. And listen, they've had some nice additions in the transfer portal. They have better players at some spots than they had a year ago, but the results don't seem to be changing. 
ESPN's Tom Luganbill joining us via the Hobson and Hobson Newsmaker line. Tommy, uh, which teams look like uh, contenders and which look like they are pretenders? You got a lot of teams in the ACC that are three and zero, uh, and you have a couple of teams that are two and one. So pretty good starts for most of the ACC. Is it too early to tell, or are there some things you can point to that say, "Hey, these guys look like they're going to be standing at the end"? Uh, just uh, as it relates to the ACC, yes. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously we're assuming everybody stays healthy. Um, I, I still think NC State is really, really a good overall well-rounded football team. Um, and they've, they've won in some ways that maybe haven't been overly pretty. I think that might benefit them down the stretch. Obviously, the game coming up against Clemson is, is going to be huge. I've been, really, I've been really impressed, to be honest with you, with, with Syracuse. I think Syracuse is really good on defense. And what Robert and I – Jason Beck coming over from Virginia have done to re-energize and get that offense to a productive level. Um, they're going to be a problem for some people within the conference. I'm curious to see what happens at quarterback long-term with Pitt. Um, I do think Pitt's a very, very good football team, uh, but they got to stay healthy uh, quarterback. I, I, I kind of figured Virginia would be down a little bit because defensively a year ago, they just weren't very good. Very surprised with North Carolina on defense, but you better have to score 40 against them. If you want to have a chance of being in the game in the fourth quarter, I think Drake May is going to be potentially a, a future first-round draft choice um, one day. And then, listen, the team that may be scary if they continue to gain momentum because they've got terrific athletes, it's Florida State. And it looks like for the first time in a long time, Mike Norvell has cleaned up that locker room. He's got a team of leaders and high-energy guys that believe in the program that's been sorely lacking with Florida State the last five to six years. So they would be a team that I'd be I'd, I'd be worried about. I think Miami's a problem because they have athletes and they've got a quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke. There's a lot of teams, in my opinion. I mean, look at Duke is surprising right now. I mean, the, the, it, it, it's crazy that we're mentioning some of these teams as being successful early on. But I think it's Florida State, Miami, NC State, Clemson, and Wake. Maybe Syracuse is a dark horse. Tom, I think one of the uh, storylines in college football we don't talk enough about and cover enough about is the length of contracts that first-time head coaches are getting. Uh, And you can Mm -hmm. look at Jeff Collins because it's topical. He got a seven-year contract. He's in his fourth year. But the money not only being handed out, but the length of the contracts. Like with Todd Stansberry, given Jeff Mm -hmm. Collins a seven-year contract, but and knowing that he had to revamp a triple option roster to what it is Mm -hmm. i mean that takes time so my i guess what i'm trying to say is like why do you hand out a seven-year contract knowing how tough it's going to be if you don't allow that coach to see the seven years all the way out yeah that that's a great question and 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 really it's a seven-year contract but you can almost subtract two years in recruiting because of the pandemic Mm. um and so that didn't help I, i i think the issue that they're running into more so than anything else is the constant self-inflicted wounds and no real signs of significant progress in any one particular area of the football team that you can point to and say, okay, we're really, really making strides there, or we're really, really close right here. And you're right to turn that roster over. I'm not saying it would take seven years um, with the transfer portal. I mean, look at that old miss team that they played this past week. They went out and completely overhauled their roster through the transfer portal and hit on just about every one of those guys. Uh, Zach Evans is a difference maker, a Jackson Dart, 
Uh, they're loaded on defense with a bunch of transfer portal guys. That's where I think Georgia Tech's going to have to start winning the battle is, is in the transfer portal and trying to upgrade the roster. I'm not saying you can wave a magic wand, and I'm not saying that all of a sudden if they decide to not make a move and keep Coach Collins and his staff in Atlanta that it can't be done. But it's going to have – I mean, you're on such a short lease as it is right now, you'd have to hit on the transfer portal, in my opinion, so significantly that you're able to flip your roster by four to five wins in one calendar year. Is that doable? I don't know. We saw Michigan State do it. Saw them do it last year. Went from a 3-19 and to an 11-win roster, and it was loaded with transfer portal guys. And I think that's the route you're going to have to go if you're going to see through a seven-year contract. Tom, we have to ask you about the number one team in the country, Georgia. We were discussing yesterday, is it possible that this year's team is better than last year's team? Um, I think what this team is proving is that they've done the thing that Alabama has proven to be able to do, and that is to reload, not rebuild, when you have significant talent losses to the NFL. All of the questions were, well, how are they going to replace this guy? How are they going to replace that guy? Well, that's the difference between an Alabama and a Clemson and Ohio State and now a Georgia in the sense that there's not a drop-off between the guy that departed or the guy that gets injured and the next guy up. At most programs, there's a significant drop-off, and that's what makes Georgia special. To me, I think what's maybe even more important is you're starting to see a little bit more of an air of confidence and a removal of the walk-on label uh, from Stetson Bennett. I mean, he's playing like, hey, I'm not just having to manage the game. I'm not just having to play pitch and catch. He's he's playing like a four-year scholarship guy. And that, to me, that confidence, the next level he seems to be taking his game is really what makes him dangerous. Because he's been able to block out all the questions and all of the, the walk-on label stuff. And now he wins a national championship. So why does he need to listen to that stuff anymore? He's not a walk-on anymore. He might have been four years ago. He's not now, and I think he's playing like that. How do you describe his recruiting process, Tom, because you, you cover recruiting? Was he just completely mm-hmm. misevaluated, or did he just get that much better once he got to, to campus? Uh, probably a little bit of both. You know, when you consider that in any given recruiting class, there's going to be roughly 2,800 kids that will sign an FBS letter of intent. There's no way we are, any of us, coaches, myself, any of us, are going to make sure – that you don't miss or under-evaluate or overlook uh, a significant portion of that 2,800 kids. He was undersized. He was underdeveloped. I would label him as a late bloomer. So what would happen is if he'd go to a camp or he'd go to a combine and there's somebody that was two inches taller or 15 pounds heavier, had a slightly stronger arm, they were just going to naturally garner more interest. That's the reality of a lot of the recruiting process. And credit him for believing in himself you know, uh, continuing to work, doing what it took. He Listen, sometimes you got to swallow your pride and take a different path to get to where you want to get to, and he was willing to do that. A lot of people aren't. And so through the course of maturity and growing up, he became a different player four years later than anybody would have seen him become uh, as a senior. And that's, you know, you can say those things about a Ben Roethlisberger. You can say those things about a, a Kurt Warner, a Byron Leftwich, a, Scott Penning, uh, a Chad Pennington, some of these guys that – went on to have great careers, but nobody recruited them. You know, there's just there's too many guys out there. A lot of football to play. You think Georgia can win it all? I think they got to stay healthy. Um, you know, I'm always of the belief, and I say this about Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, teams that have superior talent. If you're going to beat a Georgia, 
and you don't have the same level of talent that they have, they're going to have to do something to screw it up. And when they do, you're going to have to capitalize on it. And that's how you stay in the game with a team that outmans you. The problem is, is getting them to make a critical mistake or do something uncharacteristic characteristic to their nature. It just doesn't happen much, you know, giving up, giving up a punt return for a touchdown, fumbling on the two yard and have, have it scooped up and ran back 98 yards for a touchdown. Those are things that they don't do, but if they do them, then the opposition has to capitalize with touchdowns if they have a hope of winning. If they don't, then Georgia will not be challenged until they probably see the SEC championship game. Fantastic stuff. We certainly appreciate your time. Look forward to having you on down the road and uh, keep on the good stuff you're doing over at ESPN in recruiting. Will do, guys. I appreciate you having me. Have a great week. There he is, ESPN analyst and college football recruiting analyst. Tom Luganville joining us via the Hobson and Hobson Newsmaker Line. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Watches and whiskey. Do I have your attention? <laughs> this is Jonathan Geller at D. Geller & Son Jewelers, and we're celebrating summer and Father's Day with something we've never done before. This Saturday, we'll have Atlanta's biggest and best selection of new and pre-owned Swiss watches under each of our roofs. We're talking fan favorites like Tissot and Omega, showstoppers from Rolex, and it gets better. With help from Old Fourth Distillery, we're providing complimentary whiskey tastings while you browse. It's this Saturday, June 8th, in all three D. Geller & Son showrooms. Learn more at dgeller.com. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why.